In the name of our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, again, I come and bring greetings from Father Robert, who was supposed to preach today and on our observing the Feast of St. Stephen, um, which we've never done before. It's a really interesting, real juxtaposition today, right? We're singing Christmas carols and then the readings. Thank you, Jessica, for reading those readings so well. And Dan, um, it, it feels a little bit like whiplash. You know, it's a little bit like, you know, joy and like more than sorrow, kind of like horror. Um, and you'll see we're vested in red, but we've kept the white. Uh, this is, again, the, the December 26th has been for a long, long time in the history of the church designated a remembrance of St. Stephen. Who is St. Stephen? Well, I, I think it's like really, I mean, I've mainly just spent this morning working on this because, again, Robert was preaching today. But uh, the more I thought about it, it's been mulling for a couple of days, and then as I dug into it more this morning, um, I, I really appreciate, as much as I'd rather it be John 1, which is the normal gospel appointed for the first Sunday after Christmas, in the beginning was the Word and that beautiful, beautiful gospel, um, which we, we used yesterday morning for uh, Christmas Day. Um, th- this feast day actually remarkably points us to Jesus, whose birth, right, who's coming into the world we celebrated the last two days. And it points, he, he points, this feast points to Jesus in three ways. That there's still wanna, God willing, this will be between a homily and a, and a normal Mark sermon. That's the, that's the plan. Um, first, it points to Jesus because Stephen is the first deacon mentioned in the New Testament. Um, The story of the deacons, uh, which actually technically was right before the Acts reading that Jessica read for us. They're not technically called deacons, but historically the church identifies their being appointed and their being laid hands on by the apostles, being designated to assist the apostolic ministry Uh, because there was a racial conflict going on, believe it or not, in the church because some of the older women, the widows of one ethnic, uh, uh, one ethnicity of Jews, let me put it that way, um, were being neglected. They did not, they were not getting uh, their distribution of food. And so um, the apostles, you can look this up, the apostles what are we going to do? Like, we're called to preach the word and to pray, uh, but this is really important. So they call the people to select uh, people of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. And when they describe, when Luke goes on and says who they pick, the first person they list is Stephen. And of the seven listed, Stephen's the only one 
that's described in any way. Stephen, who was, let me get it right, I think it says, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Yep. And then lists the, all, lists the others. Deacons are servants. Deacons point to this amazingly beautiful and important ministry of Jesus himself. Using the same word, Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, if you want to be first, be a servant. Deacons serve the church by serving Jesus and by serving those in need. I, I, I'm not, this is not a whole sermon about deacons, but I do want to point to deacons. I do want to say thank God for deacons. And I do want to just give a little bit, like we now have three deacons at this church. Like what is a deacon? What do deacons do? Well, they do. They point us to Jesus the servant, number one, first and foremost. That's what they do. Whereas priests principally like stand, like represent God to the people and the people to God in the best possible way, the deacons represent the church and God to the world and, and, vice, versa, and vice versa, you know, bring that. Uh, I'm going to read to you from the prayer book in just a minute about that ministry of, of deacons as servants. Christ, when Paul gives his definition, this, the beautiful Philippians 2 definition of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. It's technically not the same word deacon, but it's the same idea. He said he came as a human, took the form of a servant. Jesus came to serve. So... Final, final part of this, why it's so appropriate to have the day after Christmas, the first feast day in the church year after the incarnation, being this martyrdom of Stephen. Um, so if you want to find what a deacon is and what a deacon does, it's on page 477, the best description I can give you in our prayer book. This is what the bishop said to Dan and to Susan just about five or six weeks ago when Susan Godwin was ordained a deacon. It belongs to the office of a deacon to share in the humility and service of our Lord Jesus Christ for the strengthening of the church, which is his body. You are to read the gospel, that is, stand in our midst as Jesus himself, speaking those red words, if you have a red letter Bible, and to proclaim Christ at all times through your service, to instruct both young and old in the catechism and at the direction of the bishop or priest to baptize and preach. So that first paragraph is, Number one, big, big, big picture, you're the servant. You represent Jesus, and you bring the word of God, the gospel, and you instruct people to follow Jesus. So 
Secondly, you're to assist the priest in public worship, to guide the intercessions of the congregation, to aid in the administration of Holy Communion, to carry the sacrament to those who are kept from the table by illness, infirmity, or imprisonment. That's a direct reflection of that Acts chapter 6, caring for those who weren't receiving food uh, and, and so forth, and it's been moved into our liturgical context. So word, table, and lastly, furthermore, deacon, you are to interpret to the church the needs, concerns, and hopes of the world. It is the deacon's office to encourage and equip the household of God to care for the stranger, to embrace, did you hear this? It's not just the deacon's job. It's the deacon's job to help us do this, all of us. It is the deacon's office to encourage and equip the household of God to care for the stranger, to embrace the poor and helpless, and to seek them out so that they may be relieved. Well, a lot more to be said, but thank God for deacons. Thank God we have three deacons, and as has been one of my sort of battle cries to the diocese the last three years, more deacons, more minorities, and more women serving the church in authorized ways, more deacons, because they point us to an essential part of who Jesus is and what he came to be in his incarnation. Secondly, Stephen points us to Jesus as a martyr. He was the first person to join Jesus in shedding his blood for the truth of God, to point people to God. That word martyr, as you may remember, in it, 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 that's the word in the Greek for the word witness. Is a witness. It came to be used in our English language as a word for somebody who gives up their life for their witness. Jesus did that. The principal picture of Jesus in the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, is as a slaughtered lamb. The church wants us to remember Jesus shed his blood for us. Yes, thank God for this beautiful little baby, you know, who who came for us. But the feast of St. Stephen points us right away, the first or second day, literally, of the Christmas season, that this is where the story's going. Hostility, resentment, resistance, death. Note, too, that, and and there was a big, like, there was 50 verses that Jessica didn't read in there. If you noticed in the reading, it went from 7-1, or 7-2 to 7-51. And there's a long time where Stephen is teaching the synagogue. He's in a synagogue. He's teaching them. He's arguing with them about, number one, defending himself. I I didn't, like, blaspheme God in the temple and the law, number one. But if you read it, you see his whole point is like, God's given his Holy Spirit. We're his temples. But you resist that. It's, It's really, really beautiful. And what are we giving our lives for? 
For a number of years, a while back, we don't, I don't use this anymore, we, we used a mission statement from another church just to kind of, we, we just sort of adopted it. It was long, it was a whole page long. And, um, and then for a while, we just used this last paragraph, which is really beautiful. It's very consistent with some of the Isaiah vision, uh, e- even that day of, day of Peace song that we sang over the last couple days. It goes like this. We believe that the day is coming when Jesus will return to judge the world, bringing an end to injustice and restoring all things to God's original intent. God will reclaim this world and rule forever. The earth's groaning will cease and God will dwell with us here in a restored creation. On that day, we will beat our swords into tools for cultivating the earth The wolf will lie down with the lamb. There will be no more death, and God will wipe away all our tears. Our relationships with God, others, and ourselves, and creation will be whole. All will flourish as God intends. This is what we long for. This is what we hope for. And we are giving our lives to living out that future reality now. I love that. This is our vision of the future. And like Stephen, we're giving our lives to living out that future, future reality now. Deacons, help us do that. But we're all called to that. Lastly, so most appropriate first feast day in the, in, in the year after the incarnation because he points us to the servant ministry of Jesus. He points us to giving our life as Jesus did for God and for the future reality God is bringing about. And lastly, arguably, Stephen is the most exemplary Christian in the Bible. Now, that's a big statement, and I'm not going to die in the ditch over that. Like, there are some things I'll die over. Um, I'm willing to be corrected about that. But if you you listen to what's said here, Luke cannot use the word full enough about when he's describing Stephen. He's full of this. He's full of that. He's full of this. I mean, even in the very beginning, like qualities of a deacon, look for them, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So we have that. When they list Stephen, full of faith and the Holy Spirit, in that part where Jessica was reading that uh, he was full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then there near the end, Luke again reiterates, and note this, The people are picking up stones at this point. They are grinding their teeth with rage. And Luke says, Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to ask you a question. This is a footnote to my Christmas Eve sermon. He's about to be stoned to death. And I suggest to you, that he was filled with joy. You cannot be full of the Holy Spirit 
without knowing joy. Now that's, again, that's like a paradox, a juxtaposition. It blows my mind. I don't get it. But you cannot say he's full of the Holy Spirit and say that he does not, he is not full of love and joy and peace. You, You can't say that. So arguably, from from one perspective, Stephen is the most Christ-like person described in the New Testament. We should remember him on this day after the incarnation. And if that wasn't enough, his last words, I mean, he has this eloquent argument from the Old Testament in chapter 7, but here at the end of chapter 7, the last words he says, as he's literally dying, he's literally speaking the words of Jesus on the cross. Father, receive my spirit. That's Jesus on the cross. Jesus said that on the cross. Father, do not, or Lord, Do not hold this sin against them. That's Jesus on the cross. The most Christ-like human being in the New Testament, arguably. He was full of Jesus in some way. At the end of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, just a few chapters earlier, Peter in his argument, like, what you're seeing is not drunk people. What you're seeing is people filled with the Spirit of God, praising God. And Peter says, and here's what's happened. Jesus isn't dead anymore. Jesus rose from the dead, and then he quotes Psalm 110. You can see this in chapter 2. Look it up. Make sure I'm telling the truth. And, And he says... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. He's talking about Jesus being coronated, sitting down with authority over the whole cosmos and quoting Psalm 110, where David speaks mysteriously of another Lord. Sit at my right hand. That's the last thing we hear, like about where is Jesus and what is he doing? But what does Stephen see? He sees Stephen, I mean, he sees Jesus standing. There's there's an inference here by Luke that this deacon, this martyr, this one who was so full of so much that Jesus just can't remain seated and he stands up. Stephen's name is literally crowned. The word Stephen in Greek is the word crown. And it's as if the way the story's being told, Jesus has to stand up to receive his child who is full of himself to crown him, even as he says he would do in the book of Revelation when he says, fear not, don't be afraid in the face of death, and I will give you a crown of life. It's still Christmas season. We still celebrate the birth of the king who's going to change everything. 
And we have the amazing privilege to join him as servants, as those who give their life for a beautiful future reality we, we believe in, and as those who commit ourselves to becoming more and more like Jesus himself, who can bear in our hearts suffering and joy. Thanks be to God. Amen.